He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Praise God. Do you know that he lives this morning? Amen. I'm so thankful that he lives. Praise his name. Amen. I, I'm thankful for my communion stewards. Taylor and Renee are doing a great job. I know that's a total change of subject, but they're doing a great job. And isn't this beautiful up here? But they need longer than one hour candles. This is making me a little nervous up here, right? <clears throat> so I, I'm, I'm having to judge, you know, the length of the service based off the candles. I don't want to burn the place down. But uh, anyhow, we'll be all right, I think. So every Sunday's Easter, right? Every Sunday's Easter for the Christian. But as I mentioned, this is a special Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. It's been said that the resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns. And without it, none of the other truths would much matter. If Christ had just stayed in the grave, the cross wouldn't have mattered. He'd have been just another crazy martyr. No better than an Islamic martyr who blows themselves up. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose again on the third day. And he lives this morning, and he, he lives within my heart. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. It's the proof, the concrete proof that Jesus really is alive. He really is the Messiah. He wasn't a false prophet. He wasn't just some kind of royal pretender. He wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't just a mere mortal, a martyr, but he is Lord. He is alive this morning. And I'm so thankful for it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Oh God, who for our redemption gave your only begotten Son to the death of the cross, and by his glorious resurrection delivered us from the power of our enemy, grant us to die daily to sin, that we may evermore live with him in the joy of his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now, before you can really talk about the resurrection, you've got to answer the question, did Jesus really die? Of course, he did really die. He didn't just appear to die. He just didn't pass out on the cross like some have suggested. But he really died. And when he died, his soul was separated from his body. He gave up the spirit. No one took it from him. He gave it up. And we talked about this a little bit last fall, but when Jesus died, where did his soul go? Anybody remember what I told you? Andrea can't answer because she was asking about this yesterday. She can't answer. But where did Jesus' soul go when he died? Well, on Saturday, he descended to the dead. He went to the place of the dead. He didn't go to heaven. We know that because Jesus later told Mary Magdalene that he told her not to cling to him because he had not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus descended to the dead, and there he took the keys of death and hell and conquered death once and for all. He didn't descend to suffer he suffered on the cross, and when he, when, he was, when he had suffered on the cross, he said, it is finished. He wasn't abandoned to Sheol, or the place of the dead, 
But there he went to the dead and he declared victory over death and hell and the grave. And thankfully he did. But what about Jesus' body? That was his soul. What about his body? What did his body do on Saturday? It laid in the tomb. It rested in the tomb. What is Saturday for the Jew? The Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, his body rested. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word for rest. And in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was the weekly remembrance, not only of God's creative work in creation, but also his redeeming work. In Deuteronomy 5, it tells us that. And, and Genesis and Exodus are remembered every Sabbath for the Jew. But here's what I want you to understand this morning, is that both creation and redemption coalesce or come together in Jesus. Right? He is the creator who holds all things together by the word of his power. But also he purchased our redemption. So creation and redemption come together in Jesus. And when Jesus finished his redemptive work on the cross for your sins and for mine, on Saturday, he rested. His body rested in the tomb. His work was finished. He took his rest because it was his Sabbath to start with, and it is a Sabbath with no conclusion, because the work is finished. Amen? Our salvation has been purchased. And this morning, we're worshiping not on Saturday, we're worshiping on Easter Sunday, the Lord's Day, because Christ finished his work, and now we celebrate what Christ accomplished on our behalf. Amen? We no longer Sabbath one day a week, but every day of the week. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. He's our Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter 3 is where I want you to look this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, familiar passage of Scripture, where the writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, talks about the wilderness generation, which, of course, is a popular topic throughout Scripture, is often used to, in fact, you can kind of map your own spiritual map with the, your own spiritual life with the wilderness generation. And the, the author of Hebrews tells us that he warns his readers, don't harden your heart like the wilderness generation, the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt. He said, don't harden your heart like them because they were not allowed to enter God's rest because they had hardened their heart toward God. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says to them, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away, or leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? 
So we see that they were unable to enter. What weren't they able to enter? They weren't able to enter his rest. Why? Because of unbelief. Now, they had shown faith in God's word. Right? They had. When they were still in Egypt, they were told, God said, put blood over the doorpost, and the death angel will pass over you. And they obeyed. They came out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. But they came to the border of the promised land, and they did not enter that rest because of unbelief. They came so far, but they stopped short. And they weren't allowed to enter the promised land. Now go to chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And he's speaking there of Psalm 95, by the way where God says, this is after Joshua, there's still rest for the people of God. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So God had promised the Israelites rest from their enemies in the land of Canaan. They simply had to take God at his word, believe his word, and obey. They didn't do that. And now the author of Hebrews is pointing to the wilderness generation, and he's warning his readers and warning us about failure to enter this rest. And he says to his readers, Fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So he's warning them of apostasy is what he's warning them about, warning us about. And that stands as a warning for all of us. The Apostle Paul in Romans 11 gives us a similar warning. When he warns, he said, he talks about the Gentiles and Israel. And he tells his Gentile audience that Israel was broken off because of their unbelief. But you, you Gentiles, stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. 
Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So why does Paul say the Israelites were cut off? He says, well, they were cut off because of their unbelief. That's why they were cut off. And how does he say we stand? Well, he says it's by faith. For you stand fast through faith. So Paul here is warning in Romans, we've got to stand by faith. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now, you're, you're probably wondering, well, this is Easter. Aren't you supposed to be talking about the resurrection? I'm getting there. Just hold on. Okay? I'm thankful this morning to be grafted into the family of God, aren't you? We are Gentiles. We've been grafted in. But we too, Paul says, can be cut off if we don't continue in his kindness. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 4. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We've all heard the good news. Every one of us have heard the good news. We've heard it over and over and over again our entire lives. This morning, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know about the resurrection. You've heard that good news. You know what it's about. But do you believe? And I'm not just talking about a head knowledge, but a belief that results in obedience. You see, that's where the children of Israel fell short. God said, you can have the promised land and I'll provide you rest. But they didn't enter in. And the point is, unbelief will prevent entrance into God's rest. Salvation is by faith from start to finish. The wilderness generation had believed initially. They put the blood over the doorhouse, over their doorpost, but they had not continued in that faith. They fell short, and they were left out of the promised land. They had heard God's word, but they had not heeded God's word. They had initially, but they didn't continue in it. And they fell short. God has rest for us. And the way that you enter God's rest is by believing obedience to God's promises. So when do we enter God's rest? Well, verse 3 of Hebrews tells us that we who have believed are entering that rest. We believe by faith. And by faith, because we believe, we obey God's word. But our obedience isn't what saves us. What saves us is our faith. But faith results in obedience. True faith. And if we want to enter into the promised land, we've got to continue in faith, resting our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ alone. The rest that we are to enter is His rest. 
Now, I told you a few moments ago that on Saturday, Jesus' body rested in the tomb. His work of salvation was complete. Then on Sunday, he rose from the dead, and the resurrection, as I said, is concrete proof that Jesus really is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is our Sabbath rest. In Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews, as I said, is quoting Psalm 95, and he tells his readers that they, speaking of the wilderness generation, were not allowed to enter God's rest. But his point was to warn his readers that they too were in danger of falling short. He said it remains for some to enter it. But then he says God has appointed another day. Now, the author of Hebrews is intentionally playing on the Sabbath language here. The Sabbath day was one day out of seven. But the author of Hebrews says God's appointed, appointed a day for salvation. And when is that day? The author of Hebrews said today is that day. Today, there remains opportunity for you to enter Christ's rest, and you enter it by faith. That's how you enter God's rest. We don't rest one day a week. We rest every day of the week by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In other words, Joshua couldn't provide the rest. It took a greater Joshua, which by the way, Jesus' name, <laughs> same as Joshua's in Hebrew, there's a greater Joshua. His name is Jesus. And the divine promise still stands. There is a Sabbath rest available. And how do you take part in that Sabbath rest? By ceasing from your works and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's our Sabbath rest. It's not about us working. Not about us doing, but it's about us resting in faith in Jesus. Now, our faith in Jesus will result in a transformed life. The children of Israel had to actually enter the promised land. But first, they had to believe the promise of God. God said, I'll give you the, pro I'll give you the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You can have it. But they had to believe God and act in obedience. The author of Hebrews then says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That's the warning to us. How do you fall? By ceasing to believe the promises of God. That's how you fall. Why didn't the Israelites conquer the promised land? Ultimately, it was because of their lack of faith. You remember the 12 spies came back and 10 of them gave a bad report. 
There's giants in the land. We can't possibly conquer them. Wait a minute. God had said, you'll conquer them. I'll defeat them for you. That's what God told them. And the reason why they disobeyed was because of their lack of faith. And that's the reason why anybody disobeys God and breaks God's law and sins against God. It all starts with breaking faith with God. That's where it all begins. You fall by ceasing to believe the promises of God. You see, God promises us rest. We can cease from our works to try to save ourselves. And we can find complete satisfaction in Him. His rest is the Sabbath of the soul. God wants to give you true rest. And that's why Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about one day out of seven. He's talking about every day. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yesterday was Holy Saturday when Jesus took a Sabbath in the tomb. And we who are co-crucified with him must rest with him as well. And we rest by our faith in Jesus and we await our great resurrection day. Augustine said, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself and we can find no rest till we find rest in thee. There's a lot of people that have a lot of spiritual weariness. Spiritual weariness trying to find satisfaction in all kinds of other things. People try a couple things. One, they try to work themselves to God. But that's not really a real option because when you try to work yourself to God, that only increases and intensifies your weariness because we can never earn our own salvation. The only true option is to come to Jesus and find a rest for your soul. Some of us were raised in legalistic environments. A lot of well-intentioned people get off track through legalism. And you can be well-intentioned and be wrong. And I'm not here to cast stones at anyone this morning, but often well-intentioned people have put such heavy emphasis on what's required for holiness that holiness has become unattainable. I know many people who may go to church every Sunday but are not Christians. And the reason they're not Christians for some of these people is because as a result of things they've heard, maybe as a result of their upbringing or what have you, for them, becoming a Christian means they have to sign on to a list of rules. Because that's how mommy and daddy said it. Or that's what the preacher said growing up. And this list of rules has become such an 
such a burden that many don't feel like they can come to Jesus because if I come to Jesus, that means I've got to adopt all these practices that I don't really even believe are necessary, but it becomes a burden. So they go through their lives confused and lost. Why? Because they think that coming to Jesus requires doing. Coming to Jesus does not require doing. Coming to Jesus brings rest for your soul. And when you come to Jesus, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you come to Jesus and you find rest. And then Jesus says, and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to unburden yourself or collect yourself or pull yourself together or pull yourself up by your bootstraps in order to come to Jesus. Your burden is all that qualifies you to come. There's no payment that's needed. Jesus simply said, I will give you rest. And his rest is a gift. It's not a transaction. So why is it that the heavy burden being carried makes us so weary? Well, I think it makes us weary because our efforts to deal with our sin problem by our own means and methods will only further intensify the burden. Jesus is calling us to go to Him, to come to Him and find rest. Jesus paid it all. When He died on the cross, He paid for your sin debt. You can't pay it because it's already been paid. You just have to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to live for you. And I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. But I'm just going to rest in you. So my question is, will you come to him and find rest? Will you exchange the exhausting yoke, that exhausting burden of doing things your own way, for his rest? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus is calling, will you come? Will you come? Will you come?